year, 2020, and as we come to you in our first study of this new year on Sunday morning, God, we ask that you would bless your word, that you would speak to us, and God, that your Holy Spirit would make your word come alive. And God, may you anoint our time in that. It's not just sitting here. We're not just doing this as a ritual, but we are really hungry to hear from you, hungry to learn from you, hungry, God, to take this word and put it into our lives. So God, bless this time now, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I came across some letters to God written by kids who seem to know that God is the really one in control. Here's one of the letters. It it said this, Dear God, in Children's Church, they told us what you do. Who does it when you are on vacation? Jane wrote that. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that, or was it an accident? Little Norma wrote that. Uh, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but but what I prayed for was a puppy. Joyce wrote that. Uh, Dear God, here's another letter. We read Thomas Edison made light, but in church they said you did, so I bet he stole your idea. Sincerely, Donna. And then little Eugene wrote this. Dear God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was cool. Well, we know, we all know, right, that God has made everything. He makes everything. He makes us. He made the world. He sustains it and he controls everything we see in the world. But sometimes it's hard to see that God is sovereign over countries and nations and events that happen in our world yet we have to understand that god is still sovereign it's interesting benjamin franklin once stood before george washington in a whole constitutional convention and he said this i have lived sir a long time and the longer i live the more convincing proofs i see of this truth that god governs in the affairs of men That's what Benjamin Franklin said. And you know what? Today, as we start a new study in the book of Daniel, that's what we're going to find. We're going to find that God is sovereign over all that happens in the world. He is God over all. He ultimately controls the future, the present, and the past. And so you can say this. He is the God of history. And that's the title of our message this morning. He is Um, Well, the God of history, and that's who God is. We're going to be just taking two verses here as we begin this book, Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 this morning. And with that, our outline is just two headings. Number one, the beginning of the end, and number two, the Babylonian takeover. And those are the two things we're going to see in these two verses. So let's begin here with number one in our outline, the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Take a look with me here daniel chapter 1 verse 1 it reads in the third year of the reign of jehoiakim king of judah nebuchadnezzar a king of babylon came to jerusalem and besieged it we'll stop right there well we begin with how it was the third year of king jehoiakim's reign over judah now that puts this date at 605 bc You know that we're in the A.D. age, right? Uh, When Christ was born after Christ, right? A.D. 
uh, were in 2020, right, A.D., but before that, it's B.C., before Christ, and it's 605 years B.C. That puts this date here when King Jehoiakim was king over Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom that this event happened. What was that? Well, we read here in verse 1, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, came to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of the nation of that time. And Nebuchadnezzar came with his armies and he besieged it. He, he came and surrounded the city and basically took control of that nation. So this move of Nebuchadnezzar was the beginning of the total fall of the nation, which would be happening about 10 years later. This was the beginning of the end. That's our heading here. So you understand right away in verse 1 where we see the beginning of this end of the nation of the southern kingdom of Judah in 605 B.C. Now, Daniel wrote this book. And here what he's doing is he starts to give the background to what caused his situation. This is what basically I would call the behind the scenes of how he ended up being taken a captive by the Babylonians. And we're going to get into more of that next time when we study the rest of this chapter. So Daniel give, is giving the background of how he ended up a captive in Babylon. And to see what was really going on in world events here, I'm going to show you this chart. It's going to come up on the screen. It's a timeline, basically, of what's been going on. We're going to reverse time. And if you look at the first thing, on 930 B.C., the nation of, of, of God split into two. The northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. That's why at this time, it's only Jehoiakim. Uh, king of Judah, the southern kingdom. The whole kingdom had split now after Solomon died and, and his son took over. And, and we know the story. He, he, he kind of got power hungry and had a heavy hand. So, so the northern kingdom split away from the southern kingdom. And so the northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Well, in 722 B.C., the Syrians now, uh, an another nation, this country, came and conquered the north northern kingdom and that became the end now of the northern kingdom so the only kingdom that was left the only nation of god that was left was the southern kingdom but then world events were rolling here in 609 bc pharaoh now egypt Necho ii defeated the southern kingdom he came and there was a battle josiah king you know that name king josiah who did some really good things uh, for God in the, in the southern kingdom of Judah. He came, fought him in battle. He died, actually, because of that battle. Well, then Egypt took control of the nation of Judah. And then uh, uh, his, his uh, uh, brother was actually king at that time when Josiah died, but only for three months. But then Pharaoh took Jehoiakim and put him as king during this time now. So in 609, Pharaoh, he took over. Uh, Judah, and he allowed King Jehoiakim to rule over the southern kingdom. So it was kind of, they were kind of uh, uh, servants to Pharaoh at that time. But now listen, in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar with Babylon came and fought the Syrians and Egypt. So they came against uh, Nebuchadnezzar in 605, but then Nebuchadnezzar defeated them. 
And that was in the famous battle of Carchemish. Some of you might remember that if you study that. So two major world powers met with the third world power, and they were stumped by Babylon. And this was the rise of the Babylonian kingdom, the first world power in history here, taking over now the world. Now, since he took, he defeated Pharaoh guys, right, Egypt, he went over now to Jerusalem in 605, and then the, the king turned his sights on Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And now he took over Judah, just like Egypt was over. So Jehoiakim, yeah, he was kind of still, Egypt allowed him kind of over the kingdom. But now uh, Nebuchadnezzar came, and Judah is now a servant of Babylon. And so here's Babylon rising up as the first world power in history. Now, let me show you one more thing that you need to see here. During this time, there was three deportations of the Jews. First one came 605 B.C. when uh, Nebuchadnezzar came, surrounded Jerusalem. And that was the time that Daniel was taken. There was a bunch of Jews taken, and Daniel was one of them and, and his friends. And they were taken in this first deportation back to Babylon. There was a second time, and that was 597 B.C., and that another group of Jews were taken from the land, taken to Babylon. You, you know where Babylon is? It's, it's actually our modern-day Iraq. So they were taken there. They were taken to the land. Here's King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he's slowly kind of taking over this country. And in 597, when that group was deported and taken captive to Babylon, Ezekiel the prophet was actually taken during that deportation. Then in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came. There was a little revolt going on with, with Jehoiakim and all. There was a revolt that happened. So then Nebuchadnezzar came and said, that's it, you, get, you guys can't rebel against me. You can't come against me. So in 586 B.C., he came with his armies. He went into the city. He destroyed and burned down the temple, and all the city was left in ruins. And so that's when Nehemiah goes back to years later to rebuild, right, the, the walls. Or Ezra went back to rebuild the temple. So that's sort of a picture of these world events that are going on. In 586 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the city, burned the temple and everything, you know what? That was the very end of Judah. That was the end of the southern kingdom. That was the end of the monarchy that had been going on. And to this day, there is no monarchy in Israel. That was the, and so what we're coming into in 605 B.C. is the beginning of the end. But there will be, the monarchy will start up again. You know what that is? When Jesus returns, right? The son of David, when he sets up his kingdom on this earth yeah, in Jerusalem, and it will be returned. But we see the beginning of the end of Judah, of this nation, right here, of what we're reading in verse 1. So you can imagine, this was a very sad time when the nation of God was no longer a sovereign nation. World powers had come in, changed their, their, the lives of the people there. Their quality of life had changed. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city and everyone there. I mean, if you're surrounded, I mean, supplies are low. Uh, things are getting hard there. And, and so it, this was a sad time when this nation of God was going downhill and pretty soon they would not be a sovereign nation. Everything changed. 
But you know what? It shouldn't have been a surprise. Because 100 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 39.6, listen, he said, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. So what they're seeing is the beginning of the end. What Isaiah said was the end. They're starting to see this. And I'll tell you, this is amazing, this scripture in Isaiah 39.6, because when Isaiah named Babylon, this was 100 years before all this happened, Babylon wasn't a world power at all. They're just a little small group. God knew what would happen. God knew what the political powers would do. So right here, we find the writer, we find Daniel giving us the background really, to how he got into captivity. There was these world events, world powers going on. And so this is what I want you to see here in verse 1. Daniel describes what's been going on behind the scenes to his situation. Daniel describes what's been going on behind the scenes to his situation. I was thinking about if you remember, the militant terrorist group called the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. Remember who they are? Or ISIS, right? They rose up where in the mid-2014s it called itself a caliphate, which is basically they're the religious and political authority of all the Muslims of the world. That's what they declared themselves to be. And soon, if you remember, just years ago, right, they took over all of Iraq. They took over parts of Syria. Uh, they, they took uh, little pockets or popping up all over the world and in the Middle East. And they were a threat, right? They're such a threat as they grew bigger and all in the Middle East that countries came together. And there was a coalition, right, of the U.S. and other countries that helped Iraq be freed of ISIS. And, and we know we've watched the news in these past years. And then in Syria, they were there. What happened? Russia and U.S. came together, and now uh, they defeated ISIS. And now there's little pockets left there and, and all. Now, when all of this was going on years ago, I was thinking, I always wondered, well, how, Lord, how does ISIS fit into the whole end time scenario? I was thinking, you know, how, how does that fit in? I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that talks about ISIS and what they are doing. And, but we have to understand not all wars and groups and countries are mentioned anyway in the Bible. I was thinking, wow, they're, they're a strong force in the Middle East and it's causing a lot of havoc. Is this, you know, how does this fit into the end time scenario? Well, then we see when ISIS was defeated, one major result of ISIS, you know, being in Syria is that Russia now and her military has come into Syria. They came to help fight ISIS. And once it was all done, they stayed. Matter of fact, more than that, they brought more of their military in, more of the army in, more of their, 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 all their things in, right? The planes and airport, uh, uh, they made airports and everything. I thought, well, that's interesting because now Russia has their feet in the Middle East. And that's interesting now because with Russia and Syria, so is Iran, right? Iran and Russia are, are, are coming together. And then now Turkey moving away from NATO, the West. 
they're coming in and they're linking arms with Russia and Iran. And now I see it. Russia being able to get their feet in the Middle East, it's all moving toward the prophecy of Ezekiel 38-39 when Russia leads a coalition of these Arab nations to attack Israel. So you see that now. How did they get there? Oh, it was, it was through ISIS. In all my years of study end times prophecy, I've never seen a time when Russia is now politically a, uh, and militarily set up in the Middle East like this. And certainly God saw this power move of ISIS which brought Russia and brings Russia into the Middle East. So behind the scenes of these things that are going on, it's like Daniel. Daniel explained how this political power move of King Nebuchadnezzar brought him into captivity in Babylon. It was all this that was going on, these world powers that caused these things to happen. The world political military events, well, that's what affected Daniel and his people. It affected the Jews and their nation. Do you see how as Daniel opens up here, he describes what's been going on basically behind the uh, scenes to his situation being in captivity. Listen, we know, right, world events can affect the quality of life of people in nations. I mean, think about around, you know, on the other side of the world, the people in the Middle East, the wars that go on, the terrorist attacks. People fleeing, that's all the refugees, right? Running away from the country because of world powers and things going on. I mean, praise the Lord for the freedoms we have in our country right now. For the opportunity you and I have to work, to make a living, to, to safely raise our families and have a life here. We have our homes, our cars. I mean, we, we build a life here. Praise the Lord for that. Think about around the world when wars and political powers and militaries are affecting their lives and their quality of life. But praise God for the country we live in now. But what if things change? What if people have been talking about our economy tanks? What if there's an all-out war in response to what we've seen in the past days, right? That, that General Soleimani, right, being killed by a drone, a U.S. airstrike. I don't know if you've been watching the news. There's some big things going on, right? Iran's threatening, hey, we, we get, what, 30-some, oh, I forget, targets. And then Trump's like, President Trump's like, hey, uh, we have 52 tar targets, you know, in line for you guys if you do something. Uh, there's been articles writing, well, if U.S. gets in a war with Iran, then you know what? Uh, Russia's going to step in. Uh, then China, Saudi Arabia's going to be involved. Is this World War III is the question mark, you know, coming up in all of this. What if, what's going to happen with these world events? What's going to happen to us? But here's the thing. God is still in control, right? Amen. He knows what's going on. And he knew from eternity past what was going to happen in our day today. In 605 B.C., he knew Nebuchadnezzar was going to come and take over Jerusalem. And he knows today in 2020 what is going on in the world right now over there in the Middle East. So you know what? You and I can look to the Lord to care for us and watch over us no matter how world events may affect us here in Hawaii. 
In the middle of Daniel chapter 4, verse 32, it says this, the most high rules the kingdom of men. So though there's military powers, strong countries out there trying to make their political move and, and, and moving their pieces like chess pieces all around and then what they do and the wars that happen and attacks that happen can affect us and affects people's lives all over the world. You know what? God still rules. And God knows. He is sovereign over all the earth. He knows and, and he doesn't miss anything, you guys. It's not a surprise to him. What? They killed that American contractor, so President Trump, you know, uh, sent that drone over and killed this, this general who's been, for decades now, killed hundreds and hundreds of, of, of U.S. citizens and soldiers and all. I mean, I, everyone's saying that he was a pretty evil guy coming up with these things. And even our, our Secretary of State was saying that he was planning uh, uh, to to take over Iraq in a coup, in a coup. So he, he, was, he was doing a lot of stuff. So a- anyway, all of this doesn't come to a surprise to God. So no matter what you're feeling today, even with the world events and as we talk about prophecy, sometimes we can get a little nervous yeah, about ourselves. Know this, that God rules, God is sovereign. And as Daniel explains this, he's saying, here's what was going on behind the scenes to what happened to me. And, and let me say this, maybe to you th- this morning, if someone else's quote-unquote power move is affecting you today, if it brings in some situation like Daniel, if, if that's what's behind maybe your suffering, maybe your pain, maybe your trial that you're in, you know what, take a step back. Take a step back and look behind the scenes there. Yeah, maybe there's these powers above you, these, these people who rule over you saying this, but you know what? Take a step back and see that nothing gets by God, and God is sovereign. God is not l- like us humans, right, who can only do one thing at a time, who can only watch one thing at a time. I don't know, lately, it's like my brain. Maybe I'm getting older, but I forget things, and oh, that's right, because I'm, I'm, I can only think of one thing, and I forget this other thing, and that's why my wife is here. No. For other reasons, of course. But, but you know, it's, God's not like that, right? I read a story about in a cafeteria at this Christian college back east, students were taking extra apples that were in a basket and taking it back to their room, and so all the apples were disappearing fast. So one of the cafeteria workers put up a sign, right, right behind the apples, and it said, please take only one apple. God is watching you. Well, not long after that, someone else jokingly put a sign that appeared by the cookies. And it said, take all the cookies you want. God is watching the apples. <laughs> but he's not like that, right? He's omniscient. He knows and sees everything. You can trust him. So will you trust him when things happen beyond your control? Isn't that when we start to panic? Isn't that when fear comes in? Isn't that when, think of Daniel, yeah, in his predicament, in his situation. He can't control what, what another nation had come and taken over his nation. And he sees it's the beginning of the end here. He understands what's going on, and we're going to see more of that. He knows what the prophecy says. He sees a guy into the scriptures, and he knows. Think about him. As he writes here, he takes a step back. As he writes here, 
He's saying that his situation is even something more. So will you trust him for when things happen beyond your control? What someone else does, what someone else does. Maybe someone does something and it causes your situation. Maybe their sin, their wrong, causes a situation upon you. But take comfort today that God sees and knows every event that happens in the world and every event that affects your life. This is the God we serve and we know. I want to bring your minds into this higher level of seeing God as our sovereign God, the God of history. Well, let's move on here to the Babylonian takeover, our second heading, the Babylonian takeover. We've seen the beginning of the end right here in verse 1. They're starting to roll, and a number of years from now, the, the nation's going to be gone. And now Daniel gets more deeper into it and describes this Babylonian takeover. Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. And it says this, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar came, took Jehoiakim, and he took the vessels from the house of God. Now it is the Jewish temple, the sacred objects came out, he grabbed them from the Jewish temple. The temple wasn't destroyed yet. That's going to be a number of years later. But he still took some of the implements and articles that were in there. And he brought Nebuchadnezzar. He brought them back to Shinar. Now, Shinar is actually an ancient name for Babylon. So you could put a note there in your Bible. It's really Babylon. So he brought it back home to his, to his, to his home, to Babylon. And he took them home and put these articles into what? the temple or the house of his God. So he, he had his own God, and, and it's believed back then that they uh, worship um, uh, Baal or, or Makur. And so he had his own uh, temple, and he brought them into his temple and stored these articles from the Jewish temple and put it into the, the, the treasury or the storehouse of this pagan dem- temple. Now, why did he do that? Why would he specifically go and take articles out of the Jewish temple and bring it to his God's temple in Babylon? Well, this was a move to show that the Babylonian God, Murdoch, that was his name, was more stronger and greater than the Jewish God. This is what kings would do. When you take over country A, you take whatever God they worship that didn't protect them to show, hey, my God basically is better than your God. My God is stronger than your God. So it was a a shameful thing on the Jews that he could go in and grab, go into the temple of their God and grab those articles and put them into his God's temple. What's going on here? What is this? Is that true? How can this even happen, right? Isn't this God's nation? Even though it's the southern nation, even though it's Judah, it's Jerusalem, the temple's right there. I want you to notice something else here in verse 2. Look at the beginning. What does it say, the first four words? And the Lord gave. What did God give? God gave Jehoiakim, the king, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. What did God give? God gave those articles, those, those, those objects from the Jewish temple into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Daniel here, now notice here, and you can underline this, specifically says that 
what the Lord God gave the king and these vessels over to Nebuchadnezzar. God allowed this takeover. Now, imagine what's going on in the minds of the Jewish people at this time. I mean, Daniel's writing from after it's happened. But can you imagine? Wait, God, what are you doing? What, God, what, how can you go into our very temple, our sacred temple, the holy temple? We couldn't even go in. Only priests could go in there. Why, God, how can this be? Daniel, how can you write that God gave Judah over? It would seem like God was heartless, right? It would seem like God was uncaring here. It would seem that God had abandoned the nation and betrayed the nation. The Babylonian takeover, our heading. Well, it looked like that. It looked like that. But let me tell you, in reality, it was the discipline of God. The Babylonian takeover, in reality, was the discipline of God on the nation. That's what's going on. God sovereignly, the Lord gave over the nation to the Babylonians. Right before, remember, the children of Israel entered into the promised land, God made a covenant, right, with the people. He said, hey, you guys, with Israel, right? Right before they went into the promised land, they became a, a country, and then, you know, they ended up, you know, having kings and everything like that, rulers and all that. God made a covenant with the people that, hey, if you, the nation would obey God, he would bring blessings upon the land and the country. But if they were disobedient, he would bring discipline upon the nation. And at first, they did really good. But then the nation began to slide and wander from God. And then the nation turned away from God. And, and the northern kingdom, when they split, they really turned away from God and brought in pagan idols. But then the southern kingdom began to do the same thing, bring in idols. And they weren't putting God first. And they were mixing God with these pagan idols. And they started to do their own thing. And for decades, God sent prophets to warn the nation of their idolatry, their immorality, the injustice. In other words, they, they, God, God sent prophets saying, hey, you guys, you, you guys are, are not putting God first. You're, you're putting things in this world per, first. You guys are getting into sin and wanting that more than me. And then you're treating each other wrongly. That's what the injustice was. But they didn't listen. And even a hundred years earlier, Isaiah warned them, they're going to lose a nation as a verse that we saw earlier. Do you know during Daniel's time when he was alive, Jeremiah was a prophet. And he prophesied that 70 years of captivity were going to come upon the nation. That they were going to lose the nation. But then they would be able to return to the land. But they never was a nation after that, you know. Always someone ruled over them. But Jeremiah had prophesied 70 years of captivity are going to come. They would be disciplined for their rebellion and their sin. And that's what happened. Later, we're going to see in the book of Daniel that Daniel banks on that, on that prophecy. And he's looking for the day yeah, when they will be released. And a lot of prophecy comes out of that. And you know what? After 70 years of captivity in Babylon, Guess what? God kept his word and they were able to return to the land. And that's the book of Ezra. That's Nehemiah going back and rebuilding the walls. God kept his word. And the interesting thing 
is at the end of the 70 years of captivity in Babylon, at the end of the discipline that this nation had to go through, when they were allowed to return to the land, it was at this point in their history, Israel was cured of idolatry. Never again did they go after pagan idols as a nation as they did in the past. So notice something here now. In verse 1, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, what? Came. But then in verse 2, Daniel writes, But, and the Lord came. Yeah? God came. So we see two different things here. We see Nebuchadnezzar coming, this political, powerful, military king, yeah? In all his power, he, he makes a choice. He's trying to grab the whole world. He wants to be king of the whole world, and he became a world leader, a world empire here. But then Daniel writes in verse 2, but you know what? It was the Lord who gave the nation over to the Babylonians. Why? And we're going to see this unfold more, but to bring a heart change to the nation. So just that phrase, and the Lord gave, tells us that God is sovereign. God is doing something here. God is working in this nation because the Lord gave. Warren Wiersbe wrote this, God would rather have his people living in shameful captivity in a pagan land than living like pagans in the Holy Land and disgracing his name. It may have seemed like God had abandoned the nation, but the nation had already abandoned God long ago. God's patience had run out. It was time to keep his word. And it, even though when Nebuchadnezzar came, surrounded Jerusalem in 605 B.C., even though it's, the nation was beginning to go down, it was the beginning of the end, and even though it looked like, it seemed like God was not there, he was more there than they might think. Even though it seemed... God was defeated by the Babylonians. He was actually in control, sovereign over the situation, over the Babylonians. You see that? So this is what I want you to see in this verse. God gave over the nation to work out the purpose of his sovereign plan. God gave over the nation to work out the purpose of his sovereign plan. God was moving. It may not have looked like it may not, it looked like we're done for. What happened, God? Where are you? But no, God gave the nation over to work out the purpose of his sovereign plan. And we're going to see more as we study this book, how God used all of this. I mean, this book we're studying was, is really birthed and written by Daniel, who was in captivity this whole time. And it came out when he was in captivity. So God even had a purpose in this book we're reading right now. You know, uh, just the other day, Kristen and I, we got a text from Grandma. And it was a picture of a digital painting. That's the best way I could describe it. That Kristen had given her. Uh, my, uh, my mother had nicely framed it. And now it was, it was you know, uh, there on her wall and everything. And she was just proudly showing it off to us with the picture she took. My, my uh, mother, my Grandma, she's, she's really good with technology, you know. He's taking pictures, texting, and all this stuff. But anyway, Kristen had given her this picture for Christmas that, that Kristen had quote-unquote painted on her iPad. There's this app called Procreate, and Chris, Kristen, my wife, took a, a palette of colors that's there on the side of your screen, and using her Apple Pencil as a brush, she would digitally paint this, this picture. It's, just, it's amazing what you can do now with technology. 
Now, when I would look over Kristen's shoulder and while she was painting, you know, with her Apple pencil there, um, to me it didn't look like anything. It was just this blob of color and, and maybe some darker shades and she's just working on it. And to me it's like, I don't know, it looks like something I would do, you know. A, a big mess of, uh, you know, it looked like a mess. It, and, and it didn't look like this flower that she was making. But then when she take her fingers on the iPad, right, and you, and, and you pinch it, you know, and, and, and you zoom back out, you know, and you could see the whole picture. Oh, then I see what she was doing. Then I see the plumeria flower, the hibiscus there, and the bird of paradise, and, you know, this floral arrangement there when she went, you know, kind, kind of a thing and, and zoomed out. And you could see the whole picture. Now it looked like something. What didn't look like anything now look organized. The colors made sense. All of this. Oh, okay, I see it. Well, you guys, that's what Daniel is saying here. Daniel saying the Lord gave the nation over in this takeover. It may look like a mess of colors. It may look like a whole mess, but you know what he's saying? He's saying, step back, you guys. And see that the Lord gave. The Lord is control. His sovereign hand is in all this that is happening. God gave over the nation to work out the purpose and his sovereign plan. And that's what we got to see here, you guys. That's what we got to see. The mess of colors, ah, the disorganization, it doesn't look like anything. It looks horrible. That's what the Jews are saying, saying and seeing. Right, But as Daniel writes here, he said, the Lord gave. The Jews didn't allow God to rule in their nation, so you know what? God overruled their rebellion, disciplined them, but he was still in control. And in the end, God is sovereign still, no matter what, the, what, what Babylon did. And he's going to accomplish his purpose and plan. That's what Daniel's trying to put out here. This is God's sovereign hand working his work upon the nation. It's important what you see here in verse 2. And the Lord gave there. It's very important you see this. Because God is sovereign over the past, the present, and the future. Over all world events. What's going to happen in this nation. What's going to happen uh, nations across the world. God is the one in control. The pastor and missionary to Korea, A.T. Pearson, once wrote this. History is his dash story. I love that. God is the God of history. Can you see this? Can you see what this means to you and I today? Can you see the situations maybe we see around the world that, oh, it may be scary. It may, it, we, we may start to panic, but we got to remember, and the Lord gave He's sovereign. He's in control. Even though powers of be, maybe the, the uh, Ayatollah, yeah, makes this political power move and decision, and maybe it's not going to work out, you know, too great for other peoples. It looks like a mess. It looks unorganized. We can't make a sense of what's going on, but God is the God of history, and he is the sovereign Lord, and he's going to have a plan in all this. He's going to have a purpose in all of this. How about you today? Maybe your sin is what has brought you into, quote-unquote, captivity in your trial, so to speak. 
Maybe you've been complaining to the Lord. Maybe you haven't seen it as loving discipline. Can you imagine in, in, in the days of Daniel or when Daniel was taken, when 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came, surrounded Jerusalem. Can you imagine the Jews in that day, what they were wondering? God, how can you allow this to happen to us? Aren't you supposed to protect us? The temple, he went into the temple. Don't you want to defend the temple? Aren't you there, Lord? But actually, he had left long ago. Don't you love us? But the reality was God does really care deeply, and that's why he had to discipline the nation. When your Babylonians come to you, do you think God, it means God doesn't love you? Do you think God is surprised or lost control? When you're overcome by the consequences of the mistake you made, is that the end then? No. God is sovereign. He is the God of history. He will get his will done no matter what the world or whatever anyone can do to you. God is sovereign. Let me read to you what A.W. Pink wrote about the sovereignty of God. This, this, is, this is how he explains it. What do we mean by this expression? Or Pink writes, we mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the most high, doing according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Isn't that good? Listen to what's being said here. Take in. Let your mind see God in a new light if you haven't seen this before. And let me say this. Let me ask you. Will you let God rule in your life? Will you let him be the sovereign ruler in your life? Sometimes we do get angry at the king or at the leader or the people who cause the situation in your life. And you get really angry and you get bitter toward them. Yeah, not saying they didn't do wrong. But remember, God is sovereign. But then some people, they understand God is sovereign. They understand God is in control. And you know what? Rather than getting, putting their target on some, that person who did this to you, they get upset at God. They get angry at God. They get bitter at God or they fight against Him and complain about Him. But the reality is, God has a plan. In all of this. He is sovereign. He loves you. He knows what's best for you. He has wisdom beyond you have. He he can see things that you can't see. He knows what's going to help you. And he knew for Israel this is the only thing that will break their, their, their wanting idolatry and going after idols. He knew that. And this was God's plan. So will you allow God to rule over you? Will you allow God to be God and rule over you and let him work his plan? Or are you going to keep fighting him? Let me tell you, if you fight God, you know the outcome. You're going to lose. Have you ever heard the, the phrase, butting your head against a wall? Well, in November 2009, authorities in Baroque, Wisconsin, found a dead seven-point buck that apparently lost a headbutting contest with a rival buck. The winning deer was not 
real. The deer, the winning deer was made of concrete. It was a statue. So this buck came, thought it was real, came against and, and kept butting it until he died. He lost. But sometimes that's what we do, don't we? We butt our heads against impossible circumstances, things that are out of control against God. When the real solution is to remember who is in control. What did God promise? He promised to work all things out for good. That's what we hold on to in the sovereignty of God. He's smarter. He's wider. He wiser. He knows what we need. He cares for you. He loves you so much. He's going to do what's necessary to stop us in our sin and help us to grow. So trust him, not fight him. We got to trust this sovereign God, which as we come to a close, it brings us, this brings us to our theme for the book of Daniel. I always give you a theme for the book. And for the theme of this book, we find that really we find a call to have this unwavering trust in the sovereign God of history. And that's what we're going to see in Daniel. That's what we're going to see in his companions. That's what we're going to see in the prophecies. That's, that's, that's what's going to be calling out to us, to have this unwavering trust in the sovereign God of history. Take a moment now. I'll, I'll turn over to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Quickly turn over to Daniel chapter 4. And just two verses I want you to see. Daniel 4, verse 34 and 35. And we'll be studying this later. But here Nebuchadnezzar is talking and he realizes and comes to submission to that truth that God is sovereign. And he says here in Daniel 4, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason uh, returned to me and I blessed the Most High. Interesting. And praised and honored him who lives forever. For look, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar comes to this place, and we'll see this, that he totally sees God as sovereign. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you, what have you done? He's come to that place of unwavering, seeing unwaveringly that God is the God of history, sovereign. You know, sometimes in our own perspective, we, we, we don't see right, yeah? A lot of times it's, what about me, yeah? Well, well, well how, about, how is this going to affect me, right? And I want you to, See what's going on here. Daniel's not writing, oh, look at poor me. I'm a captive here. No, he's trying to show us this background. What's behind the scenes? What's, what's more than just him is that the Lord gave. And that's what I want you to have is that this kind of outlook. Take a step back. Look at the big picture and see that God is ultimately in control. He is sovereign, so we can trust the sovereign God of history. He is working behind the scenes. Someone said this, God's ways are behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes he is behind. God is God, you're not. And so it's better to say, let God be God and rule over me, for God is my sovereign Lord. And things are better when we let God do what 
he's planned. I'll close with this. A man was questioning God's arrangement of the universe. He said, why does God make this big tree and produ that produces these small nuts? And then he makes a small plant that produces large watermelons. It doesn't make sense. Why would he do that? Well, just then, I think the Lord wanted to teach him a lesson. A nut fell out of the tree that he was under and hit him on the head. And then he said, thank God that wasn't a watermelon. God knows. God knows better. God will do what he knows best. So will you trust him and submit your life to him? For he is the God of history. Let's pray. Lord, as we're learning in these first two verses of Daniel chapter 1, God, we come to you and bow to you as our sovereign God. You are the Lord God of the universe. You know all things. You are wise, Lord. You have all wisdom. You know things more than us, Lord. You know all things, God. You know us through and through, and you know us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, sometimes our outlook is so small and only focused on me, on myself, on I. It's always about what I want or, or how is it going to affect me or, or how about myself. And, but God, we, we want to take a step back, Lord. A step back from our trial, our situation, Lord, and see that, God, you are over it. That you are working a work in purpose, Lord. That you have allowed, that you, that, that you have allowed these things to happen and, and, and to be given over, Lord, because you want to do a work in us. And let us see that, God, with eyes of faith, Lord. God, as we come before you, the beginning of this year, our first Sunday message as we begin, Daniel, let us establish that foundation that you are our sovereign God that you are my sovereign God, that you are over my life and you rule over me even when I don't let you rule. But I thank you for that because I know it shows love. You don't give up, Lord. You do care for me and you want me to grow. So, Lord, we bow to you right now. Help us this week to keep these things in mind and whatever we go through, to remember we can trust in you and trust that you are in control. In Jesus' name, amen.